When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morena, New Zealand, good morning to you all, wherever you are. I hope uh, you have a decent day in the offing. I will try to provide you with uh, some entertainment here for the next three hours, courtesy of Brandt. Your local John Deere equipment suppliers, ex- experts in agriculture and a very big prominence uh, tomorrow through to Friday in the field days there at Mystery Creek. Uh, wish Brent all the best for a successful showing up there over that period. Uh, this morning uh, we're going to stay too in uh, the Waikato area. We're going to talk to uh, Bryn Gatlin first up. Uh, Bryn has now uh, publicly announced he's off to join the Cabelco Kobe Steelers uh, at the end of the season. His season is done anyway because of um, and in terms of Super Rugby anyway it's done because he's had an injury he's been carrying for quite some time so we'll talk to Brent about when he's off and uh, what it means to him and uh, how did he make this decision because uh, he's uh, pretty symptomatic of uh, a level of rugby he hasn't quite made the All Black status um, who are thinking about that on a daily basis I am sure talk back topics today after 9.30 I'm going to make it prediction day prediction Tuesday Ashes predictions Ashes predictions who wins the Ashes now that you've seen the World Test Championship You've seen uh, England play Ireland. What about the Ashes? Uh, who are you predicting for that? Love to hear from you. 0800 Super Rugby predictions. We're down to the uh, semi-finals. Crusaders Blues, Friday night. Chiefs Brumbies, Saturday night. Super Rugby predictions. State of Origin predictions. State of Origin prediction. No game for the Warriors this weekend. We can focus, focus on State of Origin too. Uh, league fans, what are you thinking in terms of a prediction there and why? And golf fans as well, US Open this week it is a feast of sport at the moment and we would love to hear from you on your prediction. Will it be uh, Brooks Kepka backing up? Uh, will John Rahm, will uh, Scotty Scheffler, will Ryan Fox have some say in the outcome of the tournament? We shall see. Uh, we got a golf interview there this morning and that will be with uh, Evan Priest just after 10 o'clock this morning. Um, and then uh, we shall be talking to Jamie Wall. He'll be on our bulletin. And uh, also we'll be talking to Gina Antonucci. Yes, Gina Antonucci. Uh, just after 11 o'clock, we did a fantastic pre-record with her this morning. And that is uh, one of the big highlights of our show this morning. So let's get it rocking and rolling. Sport is our religion. And here is Smithy Sermon. So who is Gina Antonucci? You may well ask. And uh, Gina Antonucci... What has she achieved in sport? Well, I can tell you what she's achieved in sport. She was, uh, on Sunday, the first woman to ever win a Triple Crown as a trainer. Triple Crown horse racing in the United States is immense. It's immense around the world. We're talking here about the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont Stakes. Now, this is an achievement for the ages for women in sport, for women in racing, and it comes to a woman who has a deep love for horses and practices horseology and the welfare of the breed is paramount to her. The answer is already within each horse, she said. It's up to us to listen. 
She kissed the horse on the nose when it returned to the area in front of the winner's circle, the horse by the name of Archangelo. When we were walking out, I said, there is not a table made for you. She said, you make the table. You put great people around you. You work hard. You work your tail off. It will come if you do it the right way. Do it the right way. They say there's no crying in baseball, but they've never said it about horse racing. You fight for that spot and you feel you have to prove your worth. Horses don't care. They don't care who you are. They know who you are. To have a horse believe in you and your team the way this horse does, I wish more people could be like horses. So that is a, a little taste of Gina Antonucci and we will bring that interview to you after 11 o'clock this morning. Seven here on SENZ. Uh, Brian just trying to get uh, through to uh, Bryn Gatlin's phone. Uh, good chance to bring uh, Louis Herman. What an early on in the piece. And yes, Louis, uh, talk back after 9.30. Uh, what about prediction uh, Tuesday? I, 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 what are you thinking at this point? Ash's predictions. Oh, it's, I, I like it. So there's a concept, Prediction Tuesday. It's, a, it's a not necessarily not a busy sporting week, but it's kind of a holding day, really. We're, we're kind of stuck in a holding pattern before the US Open and, and the Ashes, etc. Uh, look, I saw enough out of Australia to say that I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm a massive fan of what Baz has been able to do, but I think if there is an attack that can not blunt the onslaught that'll come from England but actually give them more headaches than that I think Australia has it and I mean I'll flip it on you for your prediction I think Mitchell Stark even though he's the the left armor I think after watching Australia go about their business I, I think Mitchell Stark's the one that might be left out if Hazelwood is fit and ready to go because for me Scott Bolin the way he can work the duke on that surface and what he can do putting it on those lengths he's just undroppable yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. We'll come back to that um, after 9.30. The reason why, I don't think they'll leave Stark out in the first test. I just don't. Um, because I don't know if Hazelwood is actually match fit at the moment. Uh, he, he might be bowling fit in the nets, but in, in terms of match fitness and longevity for a test match, they might want to put a bit more work into him. So uh, uh, for that reason, though, I, I don't really mind. Of the of the three, of the four they've got to choose from, combination of any three I think will be plenty for uh, England to think about. Right, uh, this is a very good story for us, uh, and that is, this is the story, of course, of uh, Bryn Gatlin. Um, it was announced over the weekend that uh, yet, uh, another talented first 5'8 has uh, confirmed he's heading offshore. And just like uh, a number of other pro-profile footballers, uh, Bryn is going to Japan. He's going to Kabelki, uh, Kobe Steelers, uh, alongside his fellow Chiefs teammate uh, Brody Retallick. And although Bryn won't get a chance to pull on the Chiefs jersey one last time because of injury, he'll be hoping that can wrap up the dream season to finish his time in New Zealand on a high. Bryn, good morning to you. Thanks for your time. Good morning, guys. No worries. Good to be on here. Hey, e easy decision uh, for in the end. I mean, you know, you love uh, you love Waikato. You're, you're born and bred in uh, Hamilton Boys High, etc. Uh, easy decision or a tough one? Nah. Um, to be quite honest, it was a pretty tough decision as far as um, leaving New Zealand. Obviously, like I said, growing up, born here, and um, especially being at the Chiefs now, um, I was sort of wanted to finish my 
um, New Zealand stuff at the Chiefs, which is obviously what I'm doing. But as far as New Zealand, leaving New Zealand and sort of um, leaving that opportunity to potentially get higher honours as well, um, when it came down to it, it was tough. But the situation that arose, um, I had to weigh up all the options and um, the opportunity to head to Kobe and some of the players that are going there and the staff um, and the place itself, um, probably the opportunity felt right. And yeah, too hard to get too hard to turn down at the time. Who did you consult with? Um, did, did you ring many people around about the the thing, or was it pretty much yourself? Um, no, I definitely had a few chats along the way. Um, talked to family, especially um, uh, dad as well, just around his thoughts, and then um, you know players that have been there and done that, or um, other sort of people that I guess I respect in that area, people that have. Been, been there and done that. So yeah, I had a, a few conversations um, along the way, but at the end, yeah, in the end of the day, it's my decision. So had to make it. Right. Okay, uh, Brendan. Let's talk a, a wee bit about where you're going, Cabelco, uh, Kobe Steelers. Um, what are the coaching staff there at the moment? Who lured you there, and uh, other New Zealand um, people that are involved in that franchise at the moment? Yeah. So Dave, um, Dave Rennie. Um, he'll be head coach for next year and um, really he was the sort of the one that gave me a, a couple of calls and sort of I guess pitched his his reasoning for wanting me to, to join join the team and, and his plan um, which was pretty inviting especially him being you know New Zealand and ex-Chiefs coach um, that I've met and worked with before so that was obviously one added bonus and said he's bringing along um, Phil Healy as the trainer who's been at the Chiefs before and currently at the Blues. Um, so those are two pretty good uh, people to have as, far as, um, as far as the program goes. And obviously, mate Guzzler, Brady Retallick from the Chiefs is heading over there. So it's always nice to know um, a guy heading across there with you and um, the likes of Idy joining and Nani Lamarpe already there and a couple of guys I know from North Harbour, Michael Little and Gerard Kelly, Toyoti. So, um, yeah, it's a pretty pretty good crew. And, again, those are all decisions, factors in my decision around leaving. OK, that, uh, that is a strong Kiwi contingent, I think it's fair to say. And with Dave Rennie at the helm, that is, that is really uh, enticing. Um, you're 28 years of age. Uh, what is, uh, is, is this just a step, another step in your career? I mean, you know, you've still got a lot of footy left in you, so... Uh, this is uh, just a step for you, or um, or, or or more so? Do you, do you envisage coming back at some point? Um, look, I kind of have to just sort of think about the the the, the part in front of me, and um, you know, I would never write anything off as far as coming back. And I know players have done it in the past and um, been successful doing that. But for me, it was always a step that was going to happen at some point. I was always keen to eventually head somewhere and experience a different culture, a different country and um, obviously there's no sort of um, sort of um, secrets around the financial gains as well as far as, far as players heading off season. Um, that's sort of where I was at and like I said it was pretty hard because I felt like after last year, um, at the end of last year, making the AB's 15 team and unfortunately getting a couple of injuries um, between then and now um, probably put me in the not ideal situation as far as um, game time and where I wanted to be. Um, so I guess when it came to it, I had to make the decision to um, do what was best at the current time. But yeah, it definitely wasn't easy. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the position I, I got put in.
Brian, you're playing some pretty good football, actually. Um, the injury came at a bad time for you. What, what, what's the extent of it, and uh, what's the prognosis there? Um, the current injury was uh, I tore my, tore my bicep um, basically off the bone. Had to get um, a surgery to repair it. Um, everything went really well in that, in that aspect, so already on the mend. Um, and if um, all things go well, we'll be back sort of um, maybe around September. So, yeah, it's about a four-month injury, say, give or take. Um, so, yeah, everything's going well. But, yeah, unfortunately, that was sort of the hard thing was I kind of knew that I was potentially heading off. And so when that injury happened in that Highlanders game, the last 15 minutes, I basically just strapped it up. And I probably knew that was potentially the last time I was going to be donning the Chiefs jersey. Um, and so, yeah, I was pretty keen to make the most of it. So it added a little bit of extra sting in the wound for me. Right, OK, uh, you won't be able to be able to run out with them, obviously, uh, this weekend, um, and that's a Saturday night against uh, the Brumbies, but you would be there or thereabouts, I am sure. Um, what, is it, what is it about this Chief squad? You've been involved in uh, first-class rugby and franchises uh, for quite some time now. What is it about this particular year of the Chiefs under Clayton McMillan that has clicked so well? Um, I think it's a combination of... The last couple of years, to be honest, getting guys that have sort of just really come into their own, um, young players that have had some good game time over the last couple of years. We've obviously fallen short, um, but still been really competitive and done a good and had a couple of good years. And then a couple of additions coming back to the team and just basically all coming together and gelling well, just a really good environment. And the depth in our squad just makes it very competitive at training. I think we've got probably one of the best. I guess you could say second or development teams in country that um, could go out there and compete with anyone on the day. So that makes our, our team that's starting each week or the 23 that's playing each week better because we compete hard at training. We train train well, like it's almost game intensity. So, yeah, I think that puts us in good stead for each weekend. What about the Brumbies? What challenge do the Brumbies bring this weekend? They know their game and they know it pretty well. Um, they do it well, I think, and we've seen that over the last few seasons. They have a good uh, tactical kicking game, um, set piece. Um, defensively, they're good, and they've got a couple of threats across the park. So they're a pretty well-rounded team, and um, when they put their game together, uh, they can, you know, as we've seen, they can beat anyone on their day. And so for us, I think it's just making sure we're at our best. Um, and I'm sure they would have looked at the Reds game and... Um, maybe taking a few notes from that and but at the end of the day we would have as well so I think it's going to be a good battle on the weekend um, and come down to some big moments as finals 40 always does but I'm sure the boys will be up for it there's no lack of motivation like we said if you if you win you move on if you lose you're gone so yeah what are the talking points out, out of the performance against the Reds because uh, you know I, I think we all put expected that you'd the Chiefs would put them away um, but perhaps uh, there's a little bit more pressure involved than we thought. What, what did you take away from that performance uh, looking for this week? Um, yeah, I think a lot of people sort of talked about, oh, you know, um, we potentially should have put them away, but the Reds are a good side, They um, and they threw everything at it. They stayed in it, and they had a couple of really big moments um, with some 50-22s, especially with front, a couple from deep in our our half and um, you know those can be massive turning points in the game and when you get momentum um, if you don't quite pull away from a team they hang on and so for us 
we probably needed to nail a few more moments when we got into their area, just capitalising on points. Um, but discipline um, sort of sort out set piece a little bit better as well, and I'm sure that will make a massive difference. Um, but it's finals rugby, you know, everyone grows an extra arm for that. So, yeah, no doubt it'll be the same this weekend. Um, and for us, we just need to be better again each week. Just got to keep getting better. The, the regular season doesn't matter for anything once you get to those finals time. Bryn, you spoke before about uh, when making your decision. You had uh, a couple of good chats to, to Dad, of course, Warren. Uh, I, I just wonder, um, has he told you how his World Cup prep is going? It's not too far away now. And, um, you know, it looked from in all intents and purposes uh, that he had quite a lot of work to do after the Six Nations. So how's that progressing, do you know? Yeah, yeah, look, he's not. He's, a, he's aware of the fact that they definitely got work to do. They wouldn't have, um, they would have wanted to, definitely do a lot better in that Six Nations and so talking to him um, he said that yeah, their camps have been going going pretty good, um, they've been doing, doing obviously lots of conditioning work trying to get fit and um, a few skills just to really sharpen up um, before doing a hell of a lot too much um, rugby I think so yeah look he's um, he's been around a bit so he knows hopefully what to get the best out of the squad that he has um, so I've got no doubt that he'll try and do that. And um, But, yeah, talking to him, yeah, he says that, um, yeah, they're just chipping away just sort of under the radar, and sometimes it's not a bad place to be. So what's your program now, uh, Bryn, in terms of uh, making the move what, uh, once you get fit, fully fit? Yeah, so I'll be, um, I'm, I'm not going until after uh, sort of NPC um, World Cup time, so I'll be around either playing back for North Harbour when I'm fit and ready to go um, and won't head over till about November time. So it's for me now it's helping doing my part for the Chiefs and doing whatever I can to get the boys ready and with a preview, review, helping at training, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then when I head up to North Harbour, it's still obviously for me it's just doing my rehab and getting myself back fit, ready to play. Bryn Gatland, uh, fantastic news for you in terms of the development of your career and uh, putting together uh, something for your future as well. Great decision, uh, I feel. So all the best over there with Dave Rennie at uh, uh, Cabelco and uh, wish you all the best uh, with your recuperation and safe travels. Thanks for your time, mate. Awesome. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, Bryn, Bryn Gatland there, there, folks, uh, on the way. Made the decision. Not an easy one either. Uh, Hamilton boys high lad. Uh, got uh, Chiefs blood running through him course plays his domestic uh, NPC rugby for uh, North Harbour but uh, certainly um, not an easy decision and uh, he's made it um, and uh, you've got to get the feeling that uh, with Dave Rennie waiting for him and all that New Zealand uh, personality around him uh, it still won't feel like Hamilton but a lot of familiar faces uh, and a career to sink his teeth into in Japan wish him all the very best it's 9.21 here on SENZ Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Rightio, let's uh, get stuck into uh, some of these texts that have come through uh, already. Kevin has said, Morning Smithy, bad losers or just moaners or both? The Hurricanes coach now moaning about the no try. They attacked the Brumbies line for a solid 10 minutes and couldn't score. I would be concerned about that, not what if. History doesn't include what if. Uh, to row it wants a, a three-test series now for the uh, Test Championship final. Um, of course, they do 
Uh, he's lost two in a row to uh, two different countries. Uh, it, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't want it to be 3 0. Gill moaning about the catch. Green took that fair and square. Brilliant catch. That's Kevin from Titarangi on his observation on a few sports that uh, we've witnessed over the weekend. Uh, Brad has said, uh, keep this. Oh, no, you better not say that because he said, keep this anonymous. So I will. Uh, but thanks very much, Brad. I've, um, uh, I've taken note of that and uh, we'll keep an eye on that uh, heading future in terms of those movements. Uh, Ken says, uh, Smithy, the Ashes uh, 3 2 to England. The rugby, the Blues uh, and the Brumbies to prevail in the semi-finals. Um, and, uh, of course, he says the Blues, uh, of course, in state of origin as well. Ken bleeds blue. There's no doubt about it. Absolutely bleeds blue. Uh, Chris says, I think 3-1 to England. Apart from Steve Smith, uh, the rest of the batsmen will struggle against Broad, Anderson, Robinson and Mark Wood. Mm, I'm not too sure about that. Uh, I'll tell you what, those pitchers are going to have to do something for Jimmy Anderson uh, because uh, he's only bowling about 130. Uh, Broad is uh, a little bit quicker, but not a hell of a lot quicker. Robinson's not express. Mark Wood is express. Uh, I'll tell you what, if Australia get in like they did the other day against uh, against India, uh, look out. They're going to have to strike early. They've got to get rid of Kawaja. They've got to get um, Labashane. Uh, and Steve Smith and Early while the ball is doing something. Otherwise, uh, I've got a feeling, I've got a feeling Australia are going to score some very, very big totals in this series going forward. That's the way I look at it. Dean is uh, on the line. We'll get Dean after um, 9.30 this morning, along with uh, all of you uh, who would like to call in, please, because it's Prediction Tuesday, uh, Ashes Predictions, uh, Super Rugby Predictions, State of Origin Predictions, and the US Open Prediction. Give us a winner. Uh, we'd love to hear from you in, in, pers- in person um, and um, also um, your prediction on uh, what's coming up in the, the world of sports. It's a little bit quiet at the moment, but God, it's going to hot up uh, towards the end of this week. I tell you, Friday the start of the US Open, Friday the start of the Ashes, just by the by. Of course, uh, the Ashes live here on SENZ, ball by ball, the commentary coming out of uh, Edge Baston for that one. Uh, Kevin uh, Smithy, I personally think Stark would be one of the England the, the, the England bowler, the one the England batsmen go after. Bowling, uh, is he a two innings bowler? Yeah, I think he is because he's just lying in length and he is so, um, you know, he's just like a robot. He really is. He just lands it in the right spot at the right time, six out of six. He is a very, very good bowler. Uh, and every now and then it just does something, doesn't it? And when it does something, uh, he becomes um, part of the act. He is, uh, Lion be with one to watch, uh, says uh, Kevin. Um, he is a class act still think Jimmy Anderson will be a nagging handful he'll be a handful with the new ball he will, not sure about later on in the innings uh, so as I said, they've got to strike and strike off and early, otherwise I think uh, Baz and uh, his boys um, at the rate they score are going to be chasing quite a few simple as that uh, right, okay, it's uh, 9.30 here on SENZ love your calls after 9.30 0800 how about uh, giving us uh, some of your winners coming up over the weekend That'll be cool. Uh, it's time to get to the news now with Aroha. 14. Join us for the Ashes starts Friday night. Catch Ball by Ball commentary on SENZ. Who's there first? 
Right, okay. Uh, Neville from Kaiapoi is our first caller this morning, 0800-150-811. G'day, Neville. How are you? Well, I'm very good, thanks, um, Ian. Um, The US Open golf, the par threes might decide the winner of that. They've got one 284 yards and one at 290 yards, which sounds ridiculous. So um, if the big hitters can hit their hobbles, they're going to be the ones um, who will be threatening. But it's hard to go past Brooks Kepker again, um, Scotty Scheffler, and for a roughie, if Ryan Fox can hit his hobbles, I reckon that could be his best major. Um you never know. You never know with Ryan. Because <laughs> he's certainly showing the ability now. And I just wanted to oh. comment briefly on the the grizzly. Oh, go on. What were you going to say? No, I, I was just going to say, I, I, my understanding is, uh, you know, traditionally, Neville, uh, US Open golf courses are set up with a rough, very punishing, very, very hard. Uh, my understanding is that is not quite the case. Not quite the case this time round. Um, and uh, this Los Angeles Country Club, which uh, uh, is different. It's different altogether. So I, I think uh, distance is going to be huge, and I think you're right. That brings the likes of the Ryan Foxes into play. Yeah, well, that, that's great. I didn't, didn't realise that. That'll make a change. Um, just to go, just briefly commenting on that, as you did on Cameron Green and uh, what was the other one? Oh, the, the Hurricanes, I, I saw it. It's for both of them because, I mean, the Hurricanes couldn't complain. The referee was very kind to them throughout the match and um, no one to blame. I mean, it looked, looked like a fair, a fair um, hand underneath to me. Um, so you just got to go with the flow. Uh, and as for the Indians, well, I mean, <laughs> they've lost two finals now, so it's no wonder they're complaining. Well, they're under immense pressure. Immense pressure to win, Neville. Um, they always are at home. The expectation. I think it's now a decade that uh, they haven't won a, a world title in any form of the game. So uh, the dogs will be barking over there. They'll be looking at Rohit Sharma very seriously um, in terms of uh, his strategies, particularly leaving out Ashwin, particularly uh, choosing to uh, to bowl first. And, and then, uh, of course, uh, they were pretty much done by the end of the first night. Uh, they fought back briefly in a couple of phases of the game, but by and large, they were handsomely outplayed by Australia. Absolutely no complaints there. Dino, good morning to you. Thanks for waiting. Yes, all good, Smitty. Same to you. Um, on the upcoming Ashes, I think we're all looking forward to it. I don't know whether it's for one-day Ashes or bloody the old-fashioned grit your teeth and hang in there, but with the Australians having that world triumph, like the last thing you want is a cocky Aussie to go into battle against so I think it'll be a bridge too far for baseball, to be brutally honest and I think, I don't know, like as much as I like seeing sixes and the ball getting whizzed into the crowd in the 2020 and the 50 over stuff, I don't mind a guy gritting his teeth and getting 50 off 125 balls, you know when it's keeping low and going up around your chest, it'd be interesting very, very interesting series I can't really make a prediction, to be honest. I don't know that much about cricket, but I'm looking forward to watching it. Rightio. Okay, something you do know a lot about, of course, is uh, rugby. How are you looking at these uh, semi-finals as such? Crusaders, uh, Blues Friday night, Chiefs and uh, Brumby Saturday night. 
Yeah, well, my TAB account would like the Chiefs and Crusaders to be in the final, but it's finals footy, and home advantage, as we've seen last weekend, I, I think it's huge. One thing I would like is to have New Zealand referees in charge of it. I don't know what it is with these Australian ones, but it seems to be a lot of just calls that leave everyone a little bit ho-hum, you know? So I, I'll just stay at home with the Chiefs, I'd say quite comprehensively, the, the their, their defence is twice what the Hurricanes is. Like they can say Artie's trying that, and I feel a bit sorry for him because it looked like a try to me, to be fair. And I don't think he'd say he didn't ground it if, if he did. And they, their tries that they let in were pretty weak. So that wasn't going to go another week further anyway. And, you know, I've been talking about the Blues all year. Like, if Bryce Heen was at 13, I'd be a little bit more worried because then those outside backs might get the ball. I think they lost an opportunity last week with not putting Rico there, seeing as though Caleb was injured on the wing, rather, and leaving Heen at 13 and putting Plummer at 12 because he's a quality footballer. But So I'd go, I'd go Chiefs-Crusaders quite handsomely, really, quite easily, to be fair. They'll just grind them down, the Crusaders. If it's wet... Yeah, I don't know. It's a lottery if it's wet. If it's dry, I'd go that way. But how long, Smithy, I could just ask you a quick question. How long is it before we're the Suzuki Highlanders? Because just listening to your chat with Bryn, those teams over there, those company teams, the Highlanders would struggle to beat them. You just named the New Zealand players they've got. What about the South Africans, the Australians, the English, the Scottish, the French? We must be very close to signing a Super Rugby competition with our five franchises, a couple of Australians, maybe three, to strengthen their rugby, and then all those Japan companies, all the top five company teams over there. It must be on the drawing board, surely. Well, the thing about it, uh, Dean, it's quite obvious, right? And the more you talk to people about it, the, the influence now behind the scenes, if you did homework across the board on this level of coaching for a start in these Japanese franchises, we would be amazed, absolutely amazed, at the personnel of world rugby, world, uh, you know, and, and notable coaches who are there behind the scenes, some we don't even realise. Uh, then, of course, you look at uh, some of the playing st- staff and... It used to be sort of a signing-off area where you, you looked at it and said, well, let's make a, a, a lot of money at the end of our careers. That's when it was first set up. Now uh, we're looking at 26, 27, 28-year-olds, Bryn Gatlin's deciding we'll go at this time of our career as well because of the quality of the people involved and in wanting to develop your game. I think uh, it's almost, I won't say it's a no-brainer, but it's a simpler decision than it used to be, mate. I totally agree, but I don't. Like, the perception was that it was a retirement package for older New Zealand players, South African, any quality international player, you might as well say, to go over there and play some easy rugby for 12 weeks. But the Japanese culture isn't that smithy. They will perfect everything. And they and you've got to hand it to the Japanese team. Like, once they... And it's... I don't know how they... Where they get the breeding right as well, that they get a couple of those Pacific Islanders into a couple of gorgeous wee geisha girls and they have some six-foot-eight locks and number eights. Once they get that, they're going to be a hell of a force because they'll just keep... Like you said on the radio, I didn't realise they trained line-outs for two hours. Imagine a Kiwi rugby player being told you're doing line-outs for two hours. Imagine a Kiwi one, he doesn't hit you for two hours, he chocolate. So that's the difference. That is the difference, Dino. Um, and yes, uh, we throw the geisha girls in, I suppose. It's 9.40 here. Thank you very much for your uh, call this morning, mate, and uh, look forward to uh, the weekend of rugby probably hear from you actually before Friday anyway so uh, Dean have a terrific day mate uh, wherever you're banging in those nails be careful
Uh, we've had uh, a few texts in as well. Uh, Craig says, Hi, Smithy, I can see every result for Super Rugby this weekend and next. My hope is the Blues win both semi and final. I think they can beat the Crusaders and probably a better chance against the Brumbies. The favourite is surely the Chiefs-Crusaders final, but wouldn't be surprised if it's any other combination. I agree, Craig. Uh, I'm looking at that crossover there and I'm thinking anything is possible and is that not good for rugby and uh, I would imagine they'll be terrific spectacles and so they have to be. Uh, Mikey G says, so Smithy Poms to win the Ashes by a whisker. By a whisker, says Mikey. Uh, Ryan Fox to get top 10 in the major. I would think that is a fantastic result. I hope that comes true. Couldn't care less about the state of origin and as you say, Ian, Ken may bleed blues but he will be bleeding tears as my Crusaders out there that outthink and outplay the Blues this weekend. Good on you, Mikey. Love your positivity. Um, Barry, after thrashing you on Stump Smithy and winning a cool $100, I have invested 50 on Sam Burns and 50 on Colin Morikara to win the S Open. If one of them come in, Smithy, I will shout you a few lemonades, Barry. I'll be happy to have them, my friend, uh, because uh, that's decent money you're talking about. Morikara and Burns, two very, very good golfers, um, but perhaps not picked to be in the top uh, the top bracket. So I would imagine you've got odds at well over 20 to 1 there on both of those. So good luck. I haven't checked the odds just yet. Uh, morning, Smithy. My prediction for the Ashes is 3-1 to Australia, with one game being a rain-effective draw. England won't be able to do baseball with Cummins, Stark, Boland and Lyon. Boland will be like a modern-day Terry Alderman with that juke in hand. Quite happy to see Australia give England a hiding. Oh, and the Nuggets, four over the heat. Uh, that, of course, is today. We'll get the odds on that later in the morning from Brendan Popperwell. Uh, Kevin says uh, it's pretty straightforward. The Chiefs scored 38 to win this year's Super Bowl. The Chiefs will score 38 to win this year's Super Rugby. Bring on 2024. Okay, everyone, thanks very much for your communications there um, by phone and by text. It's 9.42 here. SCNZ. It's Kiwi for Sport. Call anytime. 0800 150 811. Right. And service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. You got to know when the holder. Know when the folder. Smithy's multi. Know when the walk away. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, I took the Bulldogs with a six and a half point start last night against the Eels. That was not even close. The Eels gave them a pasting, so not a good result there. And uh, in the under-20 World Cup final, I took Italy to beat Uruguay. Well, it was Uruguay 1, Italy 0. So what a great result that is for Uruguayan football. Uh, so today we shall uh, prosper on and uh, persevere with uh, the Denver Nuggets uh, minus uh, nine points to beat the Miami Heat. I think uh, the Nuggets will become NBA champions for the first time in their franchise history today and on the back of another strong performance from uh, Nikola Jokic, they will uh, win and I think uh, the Heat will uh, compound. I think they'll give it a very good shot in the first couple of quarters, but then I think they'll find it's a bridge too far and they'll fade away to uh, lose by more than nine points. And uh, the MLB will go the Seattle Mariners to beat the Miami Marlins at $1.74. And a lot of World Cup cricket qualifiers going on. 
and I'll come to you, Louis, in a minute because I think you've got some news of um, early draws there in the Cricket World Cup. But in terms of the qualifiers, there's still some sides trying to get there to India and on uh, October, November, and they include uh, Nepal and uh, the UAE. They're playing each other uh, later today. At a dollar fifty-six, I shall take Nepal. Uh, I didn't think I'd ever take Nepal in a game of cricket against the UAE, but uh, I would do. They're a pretty firm favourite, so that multied up Denver Nuggets minus nine. The Mariners into Nepal comes out at five dollars fifteen. And yes, uh, Louis, uh, news filtering through um, about the the World Cup cricket draw, which has been um, almost made, or some parts of it have. Yeah, it's well. We've just kind of been waiting for confirmation on this for a very long period of time now, and, and actually, ESPN Crick Info have reported a couple of days ago, so it's just flown under the radar. But I see stuff just picked it up. Uh, Aminabad's going to host this tournament opener. Now, this is this flash new spaceship stadium that uh, I think seats about one hundred ten thousand, one hundred twenty thousand people. And it's going to have uh, an India-Pakistan clash on October 15, which would be absolutely bonkers. But it looks like the opening ta- opening game of the tournament is going to be England and the Black Caps. So a repeat of your final in that stadium, which would be, well, something quite amazing. We've also got Australia um, on October 29, and we've got um, South Africa on November 1, and we've got Pakistan as well. And this is just this draw that started to leak out a little bit um, from ESPN Cricket Info. And this is from a proposal from the BCCI that they've put to the ICC. So there's no ticketing details from anything. The, the last par on the story, Smith, is the delay in the schedule has also not allowed the ICC to put out any ticketing details, even as fans from overseas have grown desperate to make travel arrangements. And actually, one of the first texts we got on the show today was someone inquiring about... Um, do you know any uh, ticket uh, World Cup cricket tours? And, and I guess that's people starting to go, gee, we want to go to this event. It's only in two or three months' time. We don't even know what the schedule is. Yeah, it's interesting that. Um, obviously, uh, the BCCI are in control of their own grounds. They're in control of um, you know, the draw as such. But uh, they should be working in conjunction with uh, the ICC. You're right, it, it is um, leaving it very late in the piece because the ICC then have to turn around and make all their arrangements what they do is they set up pools of uh, commentators pools of production they'll probably have uh, for a country with the expanse of India they'll have probably four production crews probably ABCD um, and because of the well it's pretty tough to get round from time to time particularly lugging all that equipment round uh, so they have all that there and then they have to man and um, men and uh, a heck of a lot of women involved as well in the production of a World Cup in fact, most of the organising is uh, done by uh, some very, very efficient women. So uh, they have uh, a big part to play in that, but they, they need to get plenty of time and plenty of notice to, as to how to go about it. So uh, that is a huge exercise, Louis. And you did ask me, Smithy, go back and have a look at the 1996 uh, World Cup, which was held in, in Pakistan and India, and uh, look at the opening game for the Black Caps. Well, they played England uh, back then. They set them 239, and uh, we won by 11 runs in the end. Nathan Astle, 101 from 132, one of the great innings. Yeah, it was actually open the batting with Craig Spearman. I remember it very well, because Tony Gregg came into the commentary box and said... Who the hell is Craig Spearman? 
<laughs> Never forget it. Who the hell is Craig Spim? Uh, anyway, he, he made five, by so, the way. So <laughs> and he said, by the by the way, he said I'll be doing the opening commentary stint as well. Forget the commentary roster; they want to hear me speak. They want to hear me. So, got on you, Greggy. That's all yours. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic. Uh, so, um, uh, and I'll correct me if I'm wrong. Well, um, now you say New Zealand playing England at a Medabad this time around. Where was that game played? A Medabad. Aha! So there you go. So uh, the old time, eh? The old time walk uh, going forward 20-something years. It is uh, 9.53 here on SENZ. We have live commentary of all the biggest games, the All Blacks, Irish, French and more, right here. Can we bring the Web Alice Cup home? Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. After 11 o'clock this morning, we're going to be talking to uh, Gina and Tanucci. We know we're going to be doing that because we actually re- recorded it uh, a little bit earlier in the piece this morning. Uh, but it is fascinating. Uh, Gina Antonucci is the first woman to ever train a, a Triple Crown winner. Triple Crown, of course, uh, being the Kentucky Derby um, and uh, the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes. Uh, for 155 years uh, of history, um, I would imagine women have been trying to get a foothold into uh, racing in the United States in this regard. Um, it's taken forever, it seems, but uh, Gina Antonucci is the toast of uh, women in racing around the world because she's managed to do it. We'll be talking to Gina after 11 o'clock. Fascinating, fascinating woman. Very, very clued up on horses and their nature. Um, but uh, after 10, uh, which is coming up very shortly, we're going to talk to Evan Priest. He's a Golf Digest journalist because uh, there was an amazing finish yesterday at the Canadian Open. But it's the US Open this week, Los Angeles Country Club. Evan Priest with all the details on the course and those he fancies to win and have a chance of winning on the PGA. It's coming up soon. Make the switch to Kogan Mobile today. See koganmobile.co.nz for more info. Kia ora, good morning. I'm Anwha Hathaway with SENZ News. The Prime Minister wants the community to support local authorities as they try and keep all Portsiki calm ahead of the funeral of a gang leader. Schools have even closed as a precaution, with gang members and vehicles lining the streets where Stephen Nortataiatini's body is believed to be lying. Prime Minister Chris Hipkins on AM. I have received assurances that police are putting extra resource into a Portuki. I think it's important that they do that. I think it's important that the community follow the guidance of police. I'm confident I'm backing the police here. I think they've got a tough job ahead of them. Federated Farmers says the National Party's new climate policy gives them more time to prepare before they start being charged for emissions. The government's plan sees the pricing scheme kick off in 2025, but National would give farmers an extra five years. Acting President Wayne Langford on RNZ. The key point is, is making sure that we can account for all emissions fairly and we understand what's going on on farm. Right, We're talking about a significant cost to farming operations, both dairy, sheep and beef and, and arable. Former President Donald Trump's arrived in Miami to face federal criminal charges. He heads to court around 7 tomorrow morning, our time. The 77-year-old accused of unlawfully keeping US national security documents and lying to officials who tried to get them back. There are even pictures of the documents stored in a bathroom. 
And RNZ says it's so far found 16 articles that could have been edited to have a pro-Russian view on the invasion of Ukraine. An employee's been suspended after revelations they'd been inserting Russia-friendly and false info into the online news stories. SCNZ Radio.NZ Sport next. Download the SCNZ app today and listen live or catch up on anything you missed from your favourite show. Sean Johnson says being home's helped his performance for the New Zealand Warriors in the NRL this season. The Warriors beat the Raiders 36-14 last week but have a week off this week. Johnson told News Hub being home hasn't just been good for him. If you look across the board, we've all taken our game to another level. Everyone that takes the field each weekend. So I can't do what I've been doing without you know my teammates doing what they're doing. So it's sort of like everyone's just playing their role within the system that we've created and certainly having fun with it. The Warriors next hit out is next Friday against the Dragons. And West's Tigers halfback Luke Brooks is set to sign with Todd Payton's North Queensland Cowboys for 2024 and beyond. More inside 30 on SCNZ. All the big moments from the world of sport. SCNZ Radio.NZ. Weather brought to you by Crown Forklifts. There's nothing like a new crown, simply the best. Auckland weather, fine with fresh southwesterlies easing, high 16, low 5 tomorrow, another fine day with southerly winds and high 14. Join us for the Ashes starts Friday night. Catch Ball by Ball commentary on SCNZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SCNZ. Well, golf, as we know, uh, is a beautiful sport. It's a thinking person sport. It's a sport that has tradition, decorum, and for the most part, it is uh, truly global. And at some stage over the last week, golf has managed to produce more storylines, subplots, and landscape altering change than in the collective years gone by. And uh, by the by, it's the US Open this week, just to add another chapter. But yesterday, yesterday, Canadian Nick Taylor was doing this on the PGA Tour. Swing of the putter, comes up with some speed, now up the rise, for the eagle, for the win, to the cup, take it, yes, 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 the crowd is over, the crowd is over, Nick Taylor with the eagle, the 2023 RBC Canadian Open champion, history, history, two year exception, he's an icon now in this country. Hey, that's golf, folks, just by the by. We're talking about golf there. Uh, and in so doing, uh, he became the first Canadian to win his national open for 69 years. And uh, one of his great buddies, Adam Hadwin, was getting spear-tackled by security who mistook him for a McLean Park pitch invader. And after the week, we have just witnessed at this stage, uh, is anyone surprised with what's happening in the world of golf? Evan Priest is an outstanding golf journalist for the Australian Golf Digest. He's locked and loaded for a big week at the Los Angeles Country Club. Evan, you are lucky enough to be there. Um, what's the feeling three days out? Yeah, the feeling's one of enormous anticipation. You know, US Open's on... The, the glitz and glamour of Los Angeles and the celebrities that will no doubt be in and amongst the galleries this week and... And kind of peeling the curtain back on a on a very very exclusive golf course uh, in the Los Angeles area. Of course, uh, famously the Playboy Mansion is just off the 13th hole. So there's a lot of fun and you know sort of weird and quirky things about LA Country Club. Never hosted a U.S. Open, and 
On top of all that, you've got the uh, Live Golf sort of uh, and, and, and public investment partnering with the PGA Tour news over the top of all that. So yeah, highly anticipated US Open. It's going to be a it's going to be a, a great one. Well, that in itself makes it unique, Evan, because uh, because it's not part of the the circuit as such in terms of these big events. I wouldn't imagine too many of these uh, pros uh, playing this tournament, uh, this court golf course, very often. So it's an element of newness about it. Uh, sorry, could you? It just broke up for a second there. If I could uh, get you to ask that again, that'd be wonderful. Uh, sorry, okay, Evan. Um, sorry about the line. Yeah, I, I'm just saying the the, the course as such. Um, is not very often, if at all, part of the PGA Tour. So most of the players playing here will be playing for the first time. Yeah, correct. Yeah, a couple of uh, um, those that remained on the PGA Tour uh, got, you know, snuck and got a practice round in back in February when the PGA Tour was down the road at Riviera Country Club, which it goes to every year. It's another very famous and private golf course here in Los Angeles. But you're right in saying that this is a completely unknown uh, golf course to a lot of the players in this field. They're seeing it for the first time uh, this week. And it, it's, a, it's a very different test of golf. It's kind of not what they're used to. It's very wide and generous off the tee and then sort of narrows in as you get to the green and there's some really brutal thick deep rough really funny and quirky shaved runoff areas that that requires some creativity in certain spots and you really got to think your way around this golf course so it's going to be a really cool not only for the players but also for the fans to see one of the great private golf courses of los angeles peel the curtain back and and sort of let the public in for a week Evan, it's also another coming together of uh, the two factions of golf, which have, have been very evident in uh, the last 12 months. And, uh, of course, but it's the first coming together uh, since that amazing announcement by Jay Monaghan and co. last week. Uh, what are you thinking about the atmosphere there? Yeah, I, I kind of think it's going to be business as usual. I know, I know that's boring and cliche to say, but uh, we, we, we just had Cameron Smith, the great Cameron Smith, in for his press conference um, and he kind of poured some cold water on the story in the sense that, you know, him and a lot of the other live golfers don't know what the future holds. They know about as much as we do in the media. And uh, I think for that reason, that, that narrative might sizzle down a little bit before the tournament starts. And I think I think just the excitement of the U.S. Open being in Los Angeles, uh, you know, just just for the for the first time in, in a very long time. And um Uh, sorry, we just lost um, contact with uh, Evan there. We're having, uh, as you can probably tell by listening in, we're having uh, all sorts of problems uh, connecting to them. He's uh, currently in uh, Los Angeles at the Los Angeles Country Club. Yes, uh, it is uh, famous for um, the Playboy Mansion being just over the back fence on the 13th hole. I, I must admit I'm not big noting here, but I have played the Los Angeles Country Club back in 1983. And, of course, at that stage, Hugh Hefner was in residence uh, over that uh, the back of the 13th. So very interesting indeed. Uh, Hef no longer there, of course. Uh, we thank, uh, thank goodness, though, we've uh, managed to get back to, to Evan. Uh, we're, we're just talking about uh, what Cameron Smith has to say, of course. Cameron Smith, a really big chance here, uh, I think, in this, uh, this tournament. And on the back of Brooks Koepka uh, at the, the last uh, major, of course, at the PGA, uh, what a story that would be. What do you think of the Australians' chances, Evan? I, I think they're great. We, we've got seven Australians in the field. Uh, one of those is even an amateur who plays at Stanford Golf 
uh, Stanford University, just a few hours up the coast in California, famously uh, the, the former University of Tiger Woods, and he qualified uh, through, through the sort of 36-hole final qualifying. So really big moment for that young young lad. And um, the Australian chances are, you know, obviously led by Cameron Smith this week. But at the same time, there's also Jason Day, who's rounded back into form. He won on the PGA Tour for the first time in five years, just a few weeks ago. He's looking good. He used to be a bit of a US Open specialist. And then the likes of, obviously, Cameron Smith, who we just mentioned, who has one of the great Kiwis of the world, Sam Pinfold on the bag, uh, big, fan of, big fan of Pinner. Uh, and also Adam Scott, you know, former major winner himself. So seven Australians, really good chance this week, and also a uh, really good guy, one of the great blokes in sport, Ryan Fox, your your countryman, also a really good shout this week. He's he's seen a lot of courses like this in Europe and New Zealand that sort of require a bit more creativity and accurate driving and, and a delightful short game, which he has in bucket load. So I really like the Australian and, and Ryan Fox's chances this week. I think it's going to be a good one. Even if you look at the setup of the course, you mentioned uh, there will be uh, treacherous rough uh, at times, perhaps not as punishing in, as in uh, previous courses uh, around the US Open. But the interesting element of this course is five par threes of massively different uh, uh, dimensions. Tell us a wee bit about the par threes and how crucial you think they will be. I think they'll be crucial, particularly the, the, the signature hole here at LA Country Club uh, is, a, is the, the par three 11th hole down the hill. It's going to play almost 300 yards this week. It, it, the average amateur or golfer, golf fan listening to your show right now might think that's just absolutely crazy—a 300-yard par, par three. But uh, that, that's the case. That you know the ball's going so far these days. These guys are so powerful that they almost have to have a, a 300 par three. That, that 300-yard par three. That, that's almost where we're at. Those par threes, like you mentioned, are going to be crucial because they're going to be make-or-break pars. The, the, the player who plays those in and around one under par, even par, maybe even one over par collectively, will probably, it might even decide the championship. Right, let's uh, look at um, some of the usual suspects, though. Um, of course, uh, we talked about Kepka uh, looking to back up. Uh, Ram has just been a little bit out of sorts, I think it's fair to say. Scheffler uh, is just the most amazingly consistent golfer on the planet, there's no doubt about it. Um, of, of those big names, who, you, who are you su- suspecting to be around? Scotty Scheffler, uh, all, all the numbers absolutely point towards him. You know, not only is, is he the, the betting favourite, but he's just been playing so good on the PGA Tour. He won the Players' Championship back in March. Uh, and this is the sort of golf course that suits him. I think um, you are going to have to putt well this week, and that's the only, uh, you know, sort of cross I'd put against his name. Uh, but besides that, it's, it's, it should be the likes of Brooks Kepka, John Rahm. I'd throw in Tyrrell Hatton there as well. Um, yeah, you know, who will be in in and in and amongst it come Sunday? But I really think this this is a golf tournament that's going to fall down to Scotty Scheffler or John Rahm. I, I think it's going to take a big boy to win this thing. I think it's going to be have to be a long, accurate hitter, a great ball striker, and you know a, a guy that's really good at those tricky seven, eight foot putts. And all that points towards John Rahm coming away with potentially his second major of the year and third major overall. He loves Southern California. He's won at Torrey Pines. He's won a U.S. Open. He knows what the test requires. So. If I'm a betting man, I'd be having a flutter at Ram, Scheffler or uh, Tyrrell Hatton for a bit of value. Uh, Evan, I, I just wonder uh, whether Jay Monaghan, I suppose as Commissioner of the PGA, he has to be pretty close around the, the joint, will he? Will he be apparent? I mean, has he had a press conference or have you seen him anywhere near the Los Angeles Country Club? I'm sure he'll be here this week. Um, I would imagine he'd be keeping a low profile, just given the attention and, and, and the spotlight that's on him at the moment. Typically... It's it's not very common for the 
PGA Tour Commissioner to do a press conference at the US Open because it's, of course, run by the United States Golf Association. So typically, they will have their CEO do a bit of a State of the Union address on the Wednesday, and that's a guy called Mike Wen, who used to head up the LPGA Tour. Uh, so I, I wouldn't imagine Jay Monahan conducting any media responsibilities this week, but uh, if I were him, I'd, I'd probably try and take a few days off and uh, maybe get some sleep and, and, and keep himself away from the spotlight. Has anyone uh, really been able to get hold of uh, uh, Greg Norman? I, I see a headline where he said that Live Golf will survive regardless of uh, any alliance. Live Golf is here to stay. Um, what about Greg and his part in all, all of this? Yeah, that, that's the $54,000 question, isn't it? Um, you're, you're correct in saying that t- uh, staff have told reporters anonymously that you know he's been c- keeping a brave face behind closed doors and assuring that the staff that Live Golf isn't going to fold next year, but I, I just can't see it operating concurrently beside the PGA Tour. Um, but, but at the same time, I'm not privy to the discussions in behind the scenes at, at uh, Live Golf. And, and I'm sure that the public investment fund would want to keep something that they've invested so much money in and they brought so many great players across that league. I'm sure they don't want to see it fold at the end of this year. Um, and that remains to be seen. But, but as, it, as it relates to Greg Norman, the silence has been a little bit deafening. You know, he wasn't included in the initial media release and we haven't heard from him yet. So without, uh, without hearing from him, I, I suppose your mind goes to negative, you know, in terms of his, his role within Live Golf going forward. Um, but they could always surprise us and come out and say that he has some sort of leading role on, on, on this new entity uh, that they'll create at the end of this year. So that remains to be seen. Evan, it's Louis here, mate. Now, you just you triggered me there when you said uh, silence is deafening. Well, you mentioned him earlier on. Uh, look, Tiger Woods is synonymous with California, really. He's played some serious golf there. He's got a great connection to the state. And he is the one missing piece, I think, as to waiting to know what he thinks and what he makes of this whole situation. Is he going to be around? Have people come across him if they heard from him I mean are guys like JT and his friend and Rory and his friends on tour being quizzed about him what's the feeling there with Tiger the big cat yeah yeah Louis um, just before I get into my answer to your question uh, which is a great question uh, I have a message to deliver from from Cam Smith's caddy Sam Pinfold he said you've got the best horse racing tips on the South Island so <laughs> uh, I don't know if that remains to be seen but I'll, I'm sure I'll have to get some racing tips from you but uh, to answer your question yeah obviously um Tiger Woods, you know, like, you would think, one would think that we, you know, we would want to hear from arguably the greatest player who's ever played the game by now on this on this matter. But at the same time, someone brought this up on social media the other day, and I sort of responded by saying, why would he comment? You know, Tiger Woods has never uh, sort of volunteered himself for media obligations. It's always been whenever he's required, he speaks. But if he's not, he, he doesn't usually voice an opinion. Um I could see him remaining tight-lipped on this one. Tiger Woods has always remained off to the side when it comes to divisive issues. And um, I guess the next time we hear from Tiger Woods will be the next time he speaks at a press conference. And considering that he's injured and not playing, I don't know when that's going to be. It could be as late as the Ryder Cup or potentially even his event in the Bahamas at the end of the year. I can't see him coming out to Los Angeles for this if he's not playing. He's not the sort of guy that wants to be hanging around if he's not competing. But at the same time, it's in his backyard of you know Southern California and Los Angeles. So who knows if he'll be walking the gallery and supporting some of his peers that you mentioned, like Ricky Fowler and Justin Thomas and the likes of uh, of him. But um, I'm sure that you know media we're all waiting with bated breath on on what Tiger Woods has to say on on the news of this this partnering or this merger. 
What did you make of uh, the finish yesterday and this uh, terrific story uh, about Nick Taylor, finally a Canadian after all this length of time winning his own tournament? Uh, that was uh, quite dramatic, I think it's fair to say. It was, but um, I'm sure that you, you know, the Kiwis listening to your program right now were a bit like myself, uh, watching that tackle and thinking, really, you think that's a, a hard tackle? <laughs> but uh, that was an amazing, uh, yeah, really amazing victory from, from Nick Taylor. He's got, he's got some amazing victories now. He, he beat Phil Mickelson at Pebble Beach three years ago, just before the COVID pandemic kicked off. And now he's got a, a win in his National Open, which hadn't been done in, I think it was 59 years of Canadian, hadn't won the Canadian Open, which, you know, is really surprising considering the amount of Canadians that play that event every year, that, that mm. you know, none of them have ever put up a victory, especially the likes of Mike Weir, who won the Masters, the only Canadian to ever win the Masters. And um, But it, it was a stunning victory, a 72-foot eagle putt on the last hole. Absolutely incredible scenes there, and especially with Adam Hadwin, his good friend and fellow PGA Tour player, getting tackled by a security staff. Um, just, it just goes to show that the Canadian Open, it always delivers. You know, it might not be a big event on the schedule. It's always before the US Open. It used to be after the British Open and struggled to get some of those bigger names. But boy, has it been putting up some good, good storylines the last few years, that's for sure. Well, a lot of people would say, uh, Evan Priest, you're living the dream because uh, you get to be there on the spot. Um, but what does a week look like for Evan Priest at a major like this? I mean... Is it uh, is there time for a beer and skittles, or is it straight out hard work? Do you walk the fairways? Do you sit? In, do you do you sit in a tent and wait for the next big story to come through so you can talk to him? How does it work for you? Yeah, a, a bit of all the above, to be honest. Um, for example, today my my day was uh, I got out there and started walking the course and just getting a bit of an eye for some of the holes, and then I caught up with Ca- uh, Cameron Smith and, and walked a couple of holes with him and, and Sam Pinfold, your countryman, and, and just got got a bit of a feel for how he's playing and then you're sort of juggling and waiting for certain guys to finish and the stories that you're writing and interviewing players and you're ducking in and out of the media centre where some of the, the big names are coming in for their press conferences and you're sort of juggling all of that and then you're just trying to have a bit of a beer and dinner at night time so it's a fun week, it is the dream job you're correct in saying that and uh, I can't wait for this US Open to kick off I think it's going to be a great one I think you're right. I really look forward to it as well. I think it's the greatest test of golf every year, but that's uh, just my selfish opinion. Uh, Evan Priest, wonderful to catch up with you. Very, very jealous that uh, you're living my dream as well. So uh, enjoy the week. Uh, Look forward to your your contributions uh, out of the media centre as well. Evan, uh, have a terrific time over there. Thank you. Thanks for having me on, guys. New Zealand's one of my favourite countries in the world. My girlfriend's parents are both from the Auckland and Pukekohe area, so... Lovely to be on, and uh, and I hope you guys can, can get behind Ryan Fox. And also, Steve Williams is on the day for Adam Scott this week. So yeah. uh, there's, there's some good Kiwi storylines there. Yeah, appreciate it. And just by the by, don't judge every Kiwi bloke by Sam Pinfold, OK? <laughs> <laughs> I should, because he's one of the best in the world. <laughs> good on you, man. Good on you. Great to chat, uh, Evan Priest there out of, out of Los Angeles. Uh, sounds like he's spot. slinging him, Smithy. It sounds like Pinners has got it's got some of that that public investment fund money going towards Evan by the sounds of it. Oh, look, I hope Cameron Smith wins because uh, if we can't get a leg in to talk to Cameron Smith after all this promotion of Sam Pinfold over the years. Um, I'll be very disappointed. But the day that Cameron Smith wins a tournament, if we don't get uh, access to him in the next 24 hours, then Pinners is wiped, completely and utterly <laughs> wiped off our radar. And he should know that. He w- will not be wo- uh, welcome at the Livermore ever again. It is 10, it's 10.22 <laughs> coming up here on SENZ. We, sh- we shall be back very shortly.
brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Son. And when his daddy would visit, he'd come along When they gather around and started talking That's when Billy would take me walking Out through the backyard we go walking Then he look into my eyes Lord knows to my surprise The only one who could ever reach me Was the son of a preacher man The only boy who could ever teach me well, not exactly the son of a preacher man as uh, Ryan Fox, but uh, he's the son of Grant, and we all know who Grant Fox is. Uh, and he's uh, paired, and they, oh, I love the way they say pairings because uh, they're playing threes. They're playing threes, but uh, Ryan Fox is paired with uh, Matthew McLean and uh, the Irishman Seamus Power. Uh, that's his group at uh, about fifth or sixth off uh, the first tee. Uh, we look down the field to see all the major pairings that we'll be keeping our eyes on. Cameron Smith with Matt Fitzpatrick, uh, the Englishman and defending champion, and Sam Bennett, who's uh, the US Open amateur champion, I believe. Uh, Brooks Kepka is with uh, Hideki Matsuyama and Rory McIlroy. I think uh, Rory's uh, almost uh, conceded the fact that they're coming back together, so I don't think there'll be too much uh, tension there. On the other side of uh, the draw, you're looking at Justin Rose with Ricky Fowler and Jason Day. Uh, you're also looking at uh, Xander Shoffley with Victor Hovland and John Rahm. So uh, the very big pairings, um, those ones uh, that will attract uh, most of the attention. Uh, Tony Finau, Jordan Spieth, Patrick Cantlay. Patrick Cantlay, of course, has uh, Joe LaCarva on his bag, and uh, Joe LaCarva is a uh, former caddy for, yep, guess who, Tiger Woods. So... Um, they um, the other pairings uh, as we uh, look to the US Open uh, this weekend at the Los Angeles uh, Country Club uh, we're going to be uh, talking uh, very shortly to uh, Louis Herman Watt um, about uh, racing and there's plenty to talk about in terms of, of racing as well racing news uh, domestically um, and also don't forget uh, just after 11 o'clock uh, this um, wonderful interview um, with uh, Jenna Antonucci and uh, Jenna of course uh, training uh, Archangel to uh, to win uh, the, the um, Belmont Stakes on uh, about 48 hours ago as we speak to be perfectly honest a uh, wonderful story that uh, so we'll be talking to her after 11 o'clock and in between times we shall be catching up with uh, Jamie Wall uh, Jamie a, a beloved Hurricanes fan of course uh, what about the try what about Cam Royguard um, uh, we are just talking to uh, Bryn Gatlin, sorry, uh, off to Kobe and of course uh, the Warriors win in Canberra so a uh, very interesting uh, chapter coming up in the bulletin with Jamie Wall in the meantime though we'll uh, go to the 10.30 edition of the news with uh, our very own Araha Join us for the Ashes starts Friday night catch ball by ball commentary on SCNZ The loveracing.nz update your home for everything thoroughbred racing Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. Yeah, Louis uh, Herman Watt joins us, of course, uh, with uh, his racing cap on as we speak, and uh, he has actually, because I, I think it's, um, yes it is, it's, uh, uh, is it, is it Waikato? 
Waikato, yeah, it is. It is. It's um, a freebie uh, from uh, the Chittick family, so uh, well and truly done. Uh, it's lovely to get one of those. Uh, right, uh, one of the things I talked about very briefly yesterday was uh, Billy Pinn. Um, had mm. a terrific weekend in uh, Australia. Uh, and also the emergence of jockeys and the JJ Atkins, I think, uh, went Jason Collett, McDee and uh, James McDonald. Getting uh, our presence felt over there. Oh, big time. Uh, they Australia loves um, our export business as far as bloodstock goes, but also jockeys because, well, we've gone over there and we've been able to dominate throughout the years. Jimmy Cassidy, of course. Um, well, Opie's been over there recently, picked up some Group 1s. We just spoke to him last week about that. And J-Mac, who coincidentally is on the plane right now with wife Caitlin to Ascot, Royal Ascot, this next week coming. And um, you've got some of your offspring I hear gracing the paddocks up there, uh, Smithy, which is pretty exciting. So that'll be what will consume the racing news next week. And, oh, I can't wait, to be honest. I mean, we're, we're going to chat American horse racing after 11, but when it starts to just slow down through winter here, looking up north and trying to get your head around the, the European racing season, some of the German racing, uh, the, the French racing, of course, and, um, of course, the British Royal Ascot Carnival. We've got Cool and Gatter going up, Artorias, uh, for Australia, J-Mac's going to pilot both of those, so there's a Kiwi connection. It's pretty special. It is very special, actually. Uh, I, uh, one of the, the great highlights of your ever in England is uh, either to go to Ascot or at least watch the television coverage of it over there on the ground. It is just the most b- wonderful presentation of the pomp, the ceremony, uh, and the racing itself with all, all the insights that you would expect, all the interviews. It's just riveting. Uh, they only have six races a day. Um, maybe stretch it to seven every now but I think traditionally only six races a day and it is just the, the best of the very best going round so um, yeah I, I look forward to that um, any other news uh, on the racing front what are we looking forward to the, tomorrow perhaps and uh, going forward well, we've got three synthetic meetings, Cambridge, Rickett and Awapuni, uh, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then, of course, we're bang in the middle of jump season as well, Smithy. So plenty of jumps racing going on. Um, we've got Tarapa and Awapuni this weekend. So we'll be following that closely. And yes, uh, this is a hat from Waikato Stud. I'd, I think this is a gift from, uh, I reckon I might have, to, might have nagged Charlotte uh, Chittick for this one. And I was just thinking, you'll hear in our interview after 11 with... Um, one of the great racing stories I think we've had in recent times, really, uh, with Jenna Antonucci. Now, Archangelo, I hadn't quite realised until she said, he's a cult, and he has got a future, oh, he certainly has a future now, in a breeding barn. Um, Arrogate, who's this, who is his sire, he died only seven after a couple of years at, at stud. Um, he, he had a spinal injury, very sad. And he is a son of Unbridled Song, one of the greats of that bloodline. It's some beautiful bloodstock. I wonder if you, you Mark Chittick's, your Rodney Schick's, your Sam Williams, your Mark Chitties of the world will be tuned in after 11 thinking, oh, how do we, I wonder what that, the cost is there. I mean, I think. Justify after he won the Triple Crown, I think Cornwall paid $100 million for him or something. Uh, I don't think we're going to be dealing in those sorts of figures, but it'll be expensive. But, you know, imagine, and, and we have had some great, you know, look at Perrin Canto down there at Little Avondale Stud. Some American uh, bloodlines throughout the years, I mean, there's so many that you can kind of pick up through the New Zealand breeding scene. Um, who knows? Archangelo, maybe just remember the name. 
Archangelo, winner of uh, the Belmont Stakes at the weekend. Right, it's uh, coming up to uh, 10.36, so when we return, it'll be Jamie Wall time on the Bulletin. SENZ, it's Kiwi for sport. Call anytime, 0800 150 811. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Bulletin. Well, The Bulletin this morning uh, is with uh, Jamie Wall, of course, noted rugby writer and uh, author. And um, an ashamed Hurricanes fan as well. So, Jamie, good uh, morning to you. It is all over in this edition of the Super Rugby for the Hurricanes. Um, architects of their own demise last week or unlucky? Uh, morning, Smithy. Good to be talking with you again. I would definitely say that the Hurricanes can probably look at themselves in the mirror before they go start pointing the fingers at any refereeing decisions at the end because really if you're if you're going to be trying to win a game you should be doing it before the 80 minute mark um, rather than after it uh, <clears throat> in saying that though I think that a lot of the talk around that result and it was a very good game um, to watch like those teams put on it was it was marked out as the most interesting game of the quarterfinals and it completely delivered I thought and it really built on the other really good game they those teams had back in, I think it was round 10, uh, which the Hurricanes uh, won by about five points. And it really showed just how good the competition can be when the Australian teams step up. And I think that all the talk about the referendum decision at the end and how Geordie should have passed and blah, 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 is ignoring just how good the Brumbies were uh, on, on Saturday night. They, they scored three really good tries in the first half that were all in exactly the same spot. And you don't get that without someone and the coaching staff figuring out, OK, well, that left edge is exactly where the Hurricanes have been weak all year and we're going to hit that. And they managed to get uh, some career best form out of Jack Debrusini, who's, you know, been around a bit. He's, you know, he's probably probably what you call a bit of a journeyman. And he was out there playing like Stephen Larkham uh, on Saturday night. And so it was, for me, it was, yeah, obviously disappointing that the Hurricanes kind of bottled it there. But at the same time, in the context of the competition, it's it's probably for the best that an Australian team has a presence in the semi-finals. And I'm, I'm going to come out and say like a pretty decent shot at tipping over the Chiefs uh, on on Saturday night in, in Hamilton because if the Brumbies can play as well as they did in that game against the Hurricanes and the Chiefs just button off a bit like they kind of have in the last, last couple of weeks, then, yeah, the, the Brumbies have got a real shot. Right, last chance uh, for Cam Roygaard uh, to impress the All Black selectors because, of course, the Canes have gone. Uh, will be his name be featuring this Sunday morning in Ian Foster's first squad? Yeah, great question. I I feel like it wouldn't, I wouldn't be particularly surprised if he is. I just kind of wonder, though, with all this talk about about Roy Gard and and he had a fantastic game on Saturday night. I'll give it that. Like if if he if he'd known that was his last chance, he could, he couldn't have done better, uh, really. Um, but I think that 
the issue I've always had with the the chat about him is is whose spot is he really going to take? Because at the moment they've they've spent the last couple of years um, developing uh, Finlay Christie as, as as the third the third halfback, and that's that's really the role that you'd think that Roy Gard would play, which is kind of one of those positions in the All Blacks where it, it, it does feel kind of pointless because it's a guy who just gets to not play rugby uh, for the rest of the year. And I've always thought that Roy Gard would benefit from just continuing on playing in the NPC and uh, just developing his game because he's going to have a much better shot next year when Aaron Smith uh, leaves the picture because it's, Smith is going to be starting. I, don't, I you know, we we all we all know that. Um, and then with someone like Brad Weber uh, on the bench, uh, or perhaps, and then there's TJ Petronara as well, who's, who's probably going to come back to fitness at some stage. Who I think will may make a bit of a play uh, to get back in there, just because he's been part of that system uh, for the last couple of years. And I, I just think it would be just an odd selection. Somewhat to bring him in, to bring Roygaard in, just to hold tackle bags, especially when Foster and this coaching group is packing up and leaving at the end of the year. It, it feels like Roygaard is a guy who would be part of Scott Robertson's plans going forward next year. But in saying that, uh, you know, I can totally see him see him getting picked um, just on form. But it would be it would be a at a real shame for whoever's place he took because Christie's been in great form. Um, this year, Weber's been even better. Uh, so I, I just kind of don't really know wh- where he fits in. Right, OK. Uh, we spoke this morning to uh, Bryn Gatlin uh, off uh, to uh, Cabelco, uh, Kobe Steelers, and that will be uh, at the invitation, it seems, of of uh, David Rennie. Uh, and when you dig deep into some of these Japanese franchises, you just get a sense of, how powerful they are behind the scenes, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it feels like that's why uh, New Zealand Rugby a couple of weeks ago signed that memorandum of understanding with Japanese Rugby Union, um, simply to have a little bit more oversight around stuff like this. So at least when guys like Bryn Gatland are, are going, and I mean, to be fair, it's, it's not that big a surprise, is it? He's not in the frame for the All Blacks. He's 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 done what he's what he's had to do at, at Super Rugby level, and 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 he's not even starting, uh, you know, at ten for the for the Chiefs. So it makes complete sense that he'd want to cash cash up and go overseas. But it it does it does say a lot that they've signed that memorandum of understanding because it's more about how they're going to get these guys back at some stage. You know, like when down the track, how how a Super Rugby team might need might might a hole might open up for him. Um, at a place like the Highlanders, and, the, and the, they could negotiate some sort of deal to get him back for a Super Rugby campaign. So, I think that you're right to, to draw a line between uh, between Rennie and, and Gatland. Obviously, there's a relationship there that fostered, you know, the Chiefs at some at some point. Um, and you know, it, it it just it it just goes to show that the pulling power that coaching coaches do have over players. And that's a little bit of a worry for, for NZ Rugby because, you know, once you can kind of have a bit of control over the players by dangling the carrot of the All Blacks in front of them um, and Super Rugby titles and that sort of thing. But coaches are just hired guns. They'll go where the, go where the money is and they'll take whoever they want um, with them. So, you know, it, it, it's an interesting 
atmosphere, uh, environment, I guess, for coaches uh, and, and what they can do going forward, especially considering that, you and you're right to point that out, that the, the, the Japanese rugby, club rugby scene is only going to get stronger in, in years to come. Hey, Jamie, it's interesting you say that coaches are hired guns. As you were talking there, I was just wondering, how do you best, and actually for you as well, Smithy, how do you guys best think Ian Foster not like knowing exactly where his future with New Zealand rugby ends impacts on the selection this Sunday? Will it at all, or is he a guy who is so deeply loyal to the players that put him in that position, no matter what his future looks like, he will just be... Uh, quite predictable as we've expected and seen his selections over the last 18 months, Jamie? I can't really see him deviating too far away from what uh, what he's been selecting over the last couple of years. Uh, it, it, it's, he, if there's one thing you can say consistent about Foster is he has been loyal to his players and, you know, I think almost loyal to a fault in, in, in some cases. But it, uh, he... To me, it, feel, it really does feel like the changing of the guard with him from an old-school type um, all-black coach to a kind of new era with, with Robertson and what the sort of um, ideas and thinking that, that, that he's going to bring in with him. And, and I think that there's, more, there's kind of more to it than just selecting players and and, and, and fronting the media and, and, and things like that, there's going to be a whole new feeling about the All Blacks and, and NZ Rugby in general. And it, it's already quite palpable because, you know, Foster's definitely made some, made some moves, um, you know, in the last year or so to the, to the media to be like, well, we don't, I don't really care what you think. And that's a very backward way of, way of thinking. I mean, you know, holding the, holding the team naming and Tiawamudu on a Sunday night, like just to make it difficult for, for anyone to cover it is just like a big middle finger to, you know, a, a body us, you know, that, that is designed to promote and, and, and ensure that there is interest in the game. And, and it's stuff like that, that hopefully is going to change in the future. Sorry, I've gone a little bit off topic, but I sort of wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> you did okay and you did you did and you did um here jamie um just finally um the uh brumbies couldn't get it down in canberra but uh the warriors could uh that was impressive what now yeah yeah what now well well we get a week off i i really feel like this buy couldn't uh, i mean obviously buys are, are welcome and the players need a rest but if I was a Warriors, I'd be I'd be keen to just charge straight into this uh, this next game. They they do have another soft um, match up after this. They've got St George um, and then another home game after that. So it is actually looking like that patch in an NRL season that the Warriors need you know to sort of put up like five six games in a six wins in a row plus the bye as well, and that can really go a long way to ensuring that they're going to be in the eight. Uh, at the at the at the business end, and you know the way that they played in the last two games, you're like yes, Redcliffe were were under strength, but that was a pretty good Raiders, Raiders team. You know they had a lot to play for in that game, being Jared Croker's uh, 300, and the way that the Warriors just took them apart, and then managed to do so with two guys in the bin. So playing a quarter of the game with only 12 men is is really impressive. And we've talked a lot this year about the statements that have been made about this Warriors team that have changed. You know the the attitude on defence, the 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 nurturing of the form uh, uh, coming back for 
for Sean Johnson and Watini Zelizniak. You know, those are, those are guys that, you know, we were talking about retiring uh, a couple of years ago, and now they're, they're just absolutely shooting the lights out. So I, I think it's a really exciting period coming up um, for the Warriors. Like I said, shame that they're not playing this weekend, but they can really get back into it and fire off another sort of two, three wins in a row. You know, we're looking at a, a really important season for them coming up. All good, Jamie. Uh, thanks very much for your contribution this morning. Uh, look forward to those uh, Super Rugby semi-finals this weekend, um, and a lot of people uh, concluding that the Brumbies are a genuine, a genuine uh, entity here. And uh, look out, Chiefs! It is uh, ten fifty-two. Thanks uh, to Jamie Wall. Uh, we'll be back uh, very uh, shortly with Brendan Popperwell to look at some uh, basketball odds today, and uh, maybe a little bit else as well. Time: oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 10.58 here, time to get over to uh, the TAB side of things for today where Brendan Popper well, awaits us and uh, Pops. Uh, I guess that uh, this could be the last hurrah today for the NBA. Could be, yes. Good morning to you, Smithy. And I will say this, though. Money is very even. Uh, about 60% towards the Miami Heat in terms of betting. Punters are liking uh, the $3.60 and want to see this go further. Uh, and maybe it can get back to Miami. And could we get to game number seven? We've had 5K on the Nuggets, so at $1.27 to say it ends here uh, this afternoon. Best back here in terms of anything else uh, away from the normal head-to-head. This is a good option here. Adam Pio, Jokic and Murray all to record a double-double, $4.50. This has happened in games one, three and four, and it's $4.50 and very well played here this afternoon. And we've also got a boosted option on the Joker to get a triple-double. And Aaron Gordon, who was super uh, in the previous game, 15 points, that's boosted to $5. So a fair bit happening around... uh, the Miami Heat as well, as I said, there has been a $2,000 bet on the Heat to win this 11 points or more at 1375. That's been our biggest bet uh, on Miami. Good on you, Pops. Uh, make sure you're listening after 11 o'clock too, Pops. Uh, we've interviewed uh, Gina Antonucci, uh, of course, the uh, winning trainer at the Belmont Stakes over the weekend. I'll bet you'd like your trainers when you interview them to be this good with their answers. I'll just bet you'll say that at the end of it, Pops. So you make sure you stay listening. <laughs> I'll be listening. Good on you, boy. Cheers. Uh, okay, uh, that's coming up. Yep, Gina Antonucci. World famous. World famous created history on Sunday at Belmont Stakes. Join us for the Ashes. Starts Friday night. Catch Ball by Ball commentary on SCNZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. When we talk about sports and racing shrouded in history, you don't get much more prestigious and iconic than the triple crown of racing in the United States. The Kentucky Derby, the Preakness and the Belmont Stakes are a series of three-year-old races that hold so much value and have produced some of the great champions the sport has ever seen. And over the weekend, a new story was written into the famous book when Arcangelo slipped through on the rail and kicked clear over the last furlong and a half. He made his trainer Gina Antonucci, Gina Antonucci, the first female ever to win the Belmont Stakes and the first ever to win a Triple Crown race. 
Regina is only the 11th woman to saddle a Belmont runner in the 155-year history of the race. And amidst all the emotion, she headed down to embrace her runner. She delivered a quote for the ages. What's your message to those who maybe didn't believe that this would happen? Never give up. And if you can't find a seat at a table, make your own table. And build your team. And never give up. Never give up. And if you can't find a seat at the table, make your own table. We're not sure if Virginia expected to be a global superstar at this stage, 48 hours after the race, but she is and she's with us now, Gina. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I watched the race. Um, I, I, I just thought it was one of the, the most fantastic stories. Um, what does it feel like, to be honest, to make history the way you have? It's it's just been kind of surreal and um, you know you definitely don't go into a race feeling um, that as the the leading thought and of your organization of your plan it's let's go out and execute and so executing the plan has definitely yielded um, what sounds like we did a thing and made some history. It sounds like you did, um, uh, along with uh, jockey uh, Javier uh, Castellano, of course, who, trip, who completed his own personal triple crown. What were your instructions? Can you tell us your instructions heading into the race because you're out of the three barrier? We um, had spoken um, the day prior, obviously busy day ahead. Don't need to try and uh, map out a, a grade one race in the paddock, um, you know, at, at post time. So we had spoken uh, <coughs> previously, excuse me, and basically um, the most important part was just that I wanted him to lean into feeling the race. Um, we, it's no secret at this level, you kind of know who's going to do what and what their potential strategies are going to be. So we expected um, National Treasure where he was, um, expected Ilmar Colo to obviously be up more so he didn't break as expected, which shifted to some of the dynamic early. Um, I think Archangelo was a tick more in the bridle than we had anticipated early on into the first turn. But I think it was a, a healthy in the bridle where he was just competitive, finding his spot. He took that breath on the backside and allowed Javier to put his hands down and just get into a nice cadence down the backstretch. And we thought we would be tipping out and going around coming for home. So um, he had tucked into Johnny's blind spot a little bit behind National Treasure. And because I had asked him, I said, how was it possible that that rail opened up the way that it did? Obviously, it was crazy and he said i just think i was in his blind spot and he was you know looking obviously for forte and tapa trice to see where they were and it allowed him just to um cut that corner the way that he did and um the biggest conveyance that we had in our messaging was to make sure that we we wanted to get an early jump on the field knowing that our cruising speed is is pretty solid coming home and it, it has a, a pretty long sustained run that we wanted archangelo to get a jump on him knowing that if he could, that they would have to come and catch us and run us down. Um, and we felt fairly confident that they wouldn't have enough time to get to us. So um, cutting the turn, obviously, and, and everyone else having to go wide with Johnny, having a smart tactical ride to float out those guys, uh, we appreciated that. And when he um, eyeballed to eyeball National Treasure and had so much room on the rail and just went on, it, it was just surreal. Surreal. 
Jenna Louie here, beautifully explained, and he, he won like a, a gorgeous horse. The way he settled and he just got into his rhythm, as you say, and he, he had lungs full with uh, oxygen as he was turning, and he, he looked the winner from a long way out. That, that rails run is probably what every trainer dreams of going into a grade one or a group one race, but you, you probably never think that it's going to pan out that way. So at what point, and we've all seen the video of you watching it back on your screen, at what point did you know he was home and when did it start? to kind of dawn on you that it was happening um that stretch obviously Belmont is such a an immense size and it's it's not only a mile and a half you know one turn around the track but it's it's also very wide it's it's a an impressive impressive um surface and so it's easy to kind of get lost when you're watching it on the screen versus trying to watch the horse live. We're standing there. So I was cross-referencing exactly where we were as I was looking back and forth. And um, when I saw him come through, give him that second to look at him and then go. And when he got that couple of lengths and he sustained the couple lengths for probably a good, I would say almost um, probably a three sixteenths. He sustained that. And obviously I'm, guesstimating it um once we got inside inside the eighth and then inside that last 16th he wasn't stopping and they weren't gaining enough and javier wasn't really you know demanding much more he was just riding out the race it was just so many so much it's like he just it's slow motion in, in, in that in that moment Gina, obviously a massive uh, day for women in racing, of course. Uh, we're New Zealand, we have uh, many, many uh, female trainers and jockeys uh, with great success over the years, but this is uh, so global. Tell us about your setup uh, back at home, um, how many horses you actually do race or you have in work, etc., uh, and the distances you have to travel. Um, I run a, a bit of a unique kind of business, um, Racing is part of what we do. It's not the only thing that we do. Um, we also do with horseology, um, breaking and training and sales prep and buying young horses, whether to invest in or to um, se um, sell for other people or to develop to go on to other trainers and, and racing as like. So, you know, I've created um, a table since you brought up the quote. <laughs> that was a, an inadvertent um, uh, quote, but it, it, I understand why it resonates. So um, our table is made up of um, some pretty dynamic women that I'm super blessed to, to work with. And Fiona Goodwin is my assistant, and she's been with me for over a decade and really is the A-point person at the racetrack. And um, is just she's Irish and a phenomenal horsewoman and her husband Robert is a um, from the Philippines originally and um, is has been Archangelo's main main pilot through this to this point and um, Katie Miranda my business partner um, with horseology you know does tons at the farm and so it's it's a, a great group um, under our umbrella you know we may have 40 to 50 in our hands from racing all the way through um, to retirement. So can I, can I ask you um, who've been your, your biggest influences on the training side of, of uh, your career? I'm a student of observation. Um, I love watching horses and watching people and um, watching what has worked and hasn't worked. Um, I've always been um, so... I'm impressed with how Graham motion handles, you know, his life and how he handles such a, a wide array of, 
of all of his interests in the industry, you know, Bill Mott, um, Shug McGahey, um, and even, you know, Chad Brown, I mean, all the, the big, the big guys and, and how they do it. And, you know, watching some of the women before me and now, and, and, and not just all the good, you know, you've got to watch the bad to understand and to see where and what is a misstep so that we can grow and, and continue to represent the industry worldwide in a, in a best possible light that we're able. Uh, as Smithy said, Jenna, I mean, we've, we've seen, you know, the, the gay waterhouses, um, Moira Murdoch, so we've got, yeah, yeah, She's amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, could, we could rattle off uh, plenty. Um, uh, Dawn Williams, and uh, you know, like it goes on down here in New Zealand of uh, of our trainers that have kind of paved the way. You What's guys figured lens- it out a long time ago. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, maybe, maybe, maybe we did, and I don't know. Obviously, oh, as you're aware, New Zealand and uh, America are two entirely different places. But can you give us a bit of perspective around the landscape that you work in? I mean, how many other female trainers are there? How hard is it to progress a horse from a maiden to the Belmont? Like, w- w- you know, what sort of mountain did you climb? Um, you know, when you're living it and doing it, I think you just keep taking one step at a, at a time. And, um, you know, an American football analogy, sometimes to get down the field, you've got to work the sidelines and go left to right more than down the field. Um, and so I think might, might relate into rugby a little bit too, but, um, I would be a little bit green in in that analogy. Um, so it's, you know, in, in women in, in racing in America is not as fashionable as what you're able to embrace, um, in New Zealand. And and I I think it's growing, but I also think, um, as much as it's growing, it's probably more women wanting to run a business and wanting to be, um, the first seat and wanting to make all of the decisions. I think sometimes historically, maybe women wanted to be, you know, let me do the work back here because this is what makes me happiest and you go deal with all of that out there. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. I mean, just whatever people want to do at the level they want to do it, just do it exceptionally well. And um, I've said that over and over. So, you know, in developing Archangelo from the farm to teaching him the ropes to breaking his maiden to the Belmont, um, it's just been really leaning into him and letting him lead us um, as he was growing and as he was continuing to figure himself out and mature. You know, when we look at uh, racing and we look at a, a race like the Belmont Stakes or other Triple Crown races, uh, we obviously see massive crowds. You know, it, it's a tradition um, and it, it appears from the outside looking in that racing in the United States is in great shape. We're going through a transition period and transition period in New Zealand where it's not such in great shape. We're trying to rebuild it. Um, to, on a day-to-day basis, uh, racing in the United States, is it strong? Is it... Is it is it healthy? Um, I think we are too also in transition. Um, welfare is, is a huge talking point, um, probably globally. And, you know, we have new regulation and new um, government oversight in, in our industry through HISA, which is really trying to make sure the betterment of the sport, everyone is safe, equine athletes, human athletes, um, that race truck operations are handling business properly. So, you know, that's been a big shift for us here. And we've had, you know, declining full crop sizes and, you know, definitely experiencing a reset um, to certain capacities. And so I think it's an opportunity that everyone is staring at to try and 
make this next pivot um, meaningful so that we can flourish and enjoy this amazing industry for decades to come. So not what now for, um, we haven't even talked about uh, your, your horse too much. Uh, what next for Arcangelo, um, a three-year-old? What do, you, what do you see on the horizon now? What, have you mapped out a, a plan going forward? Is it too early? Um, we have some targets. Uh, I'm not a race chaser. We will make sure that kind of how everything else has been correct and it has fallen into our lap and it has done. He has said, I'm ready at, at each um, point. Obviously, there's two big races coming up through the summer at Saratoga. There's, you know, a kind of a natural stake schedule that happens. And so, if he's ready in seven weeks, then we'll run. If he's ready in 11, then we'll run. But we're going to let him um, keep leading us and keep the white noise down and, and let him keep doing the talking and try and steward the best possible outcome we can. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. You're not a race chaser. What about a, a Caulfield Cup in October or a, um, a, a trip, a, a, a trip <laughs> down south? I'll have to look. <laughs> does he does he get does he get the grass turf or is he? I mean, what's and what's your split this of horse, horses that he's ridiculous? Yeah? I don't think he would care to be honest with you. And it's it's kind of the neat part about him where he's transitioned to two different surfaces now. Um, He's not a big, heavily built horse. He's a, a tall horse, but um, he has a little bit of the um, refinement of Tappet. And um, obviously, Arrogate was a little bit of a bigger bodied, heavier hitting horse. And it is probably the biggest blessing for this colt that he is a little bit lighter in that regard and, and just seems to be able to get across whatever we ask him. It, it, he's, he's a he's a colt. Did- do the owners have interest in standing him at stud? Is that um, something? Is that another aspect? And you've obviously you're quite a fay with the breeding side of things, being a, a pre-trainer and a pinhooker and that sort of stuff. So, right. um, is that is that an aspect that you need to consider? It's absolutely part of the management of him, um, and that p- part of the management of his career is making sure that we check the appropriate amount of boxes to set him up for his next career. Um, quite pleased that we made such a check mark on Saturday for him. Um, <laughs> but he'll, um, you know, and obviously with the Peter Pan. So he's, he's done a couple of things already that should make that next transition pretty um, smooth and seamless for him. And right now we'll just continue to put the horse first. And there have been, you know, knocks at the door and, and obviously interest in him and his owner um, is just not there. He wants to just really enjoy this and stay in the moment and, understands that that will be there when when we're ready to have that conversation Gina just finally what what do you think this will do for women in racing because women in sport um, and the progress of, of women in sport is massive in this country this part of the world what about for women in racing what do you hope it achieves I just hope it achieves um, the opportunity for for someone to look at it a little differently um, if it if it inspires someone to work a little harder, that's amazing. If it gives someone encouragement when they feel there's just they're done or they're taxed out and just can't keep you know persevering, um, it's it's not even just the female trainers; it's the the smaller stables as well that you know spread it around a little bit, lean on these agents and and bloodstock advisors to do a little homework on some of these smaller outfits. It's good for the game everywhere throughout the globe if we're able to. Um, there's absolutely nothing wrong with having the larger stables, but we have to have a healthy middle market um, to, to make the whole ball go around.
Well, Tina Antonucci, it's been an absolute pleasure catching up with you. You have, uh, as you say, we all know that you've created history, but what you may well have done in opening up doors and opening up awareness, I think, is fantastic. As far away as little old New Zealand, you're a big story, so it's been great to catch up with you, I promise you. Um, I appreciate and, it. Uh, we're so grateful you've made, you made uh, some time out of your busy day for us. Uh, all the best going forward, uh, not with just this horse, but of course with your career. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thank, thank you, guys. Have a great, great time. Religious man, but one pastor who I do listen to is Ian Stockley-Smith. Smithy Sermon, about five past nine every morning, Monday to Friday, here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Turn up the volume, we're crossing live to the sports desk. What's fresh? What's making waves? Let's find out. Yes, courtesy of Polaris too, and the Polaris Field Day specials are on right now uh, because the field days are about to begin as well. They'll be all set up there at Mystery Creek. It'll be a wonderful spectacle. So pop along uh, to uh, the Polaris side of things if you get a chance. Um, and you can also get up to $2,500 worth of free accessories on Polaris Rangers. Louis Herman, what, what have you got in store for us today? I thought you'd enjoy this one, Smithy, being a celebrated commentator yourself. And I, I was thinking about if you, any time you've been put in the firing line as a cricket caller, you didn't get hit, but your car got totaled once, right, in Dunedin? No, I was in Hamilton. Uh, part, Hamilton. Uh, it was a domestic, domestic game of cricket, really. Um, so, yeah, we, we, normally if you, you go to the games at Seddon Park, then you can't park because they shut off the roads around the outside. But for domestic cricket, they don't care because... Uh, they don't get many crowds, so um, Jesse Ryder just launched one out of the ground and bumper, so no problem. Um, moving right along, uh, because that was an insurance uh, job, I would imagine, for the rental car company, but moving along. So that happened, so that was your car, not your noggin. Well, um, look, an equally established and iconic um, commentator, actually, uh, John Sterling, the play-by-play voice for the New York Yankees. Well, he had a very interesting... Um, and look, of course, they missed a couple of games because of this massive smoke um, situation with all these Canadian wildfires through New York. Well, they're back playing, and man, this was a day out at the office for Mr. Sterling. And now the 3-2 swung on, a pop foul back here. Ow! 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 It really hit me. I didn't know it was coming back that far. So once again, it'll be a 3-2. And Holmes ready to deal. A ground ball to third. Donaldson squares. Throws to first. In time. Ball game over. Yankees win. The Yankees win. You know, that foul ball actually hit me. It kind of glanced off my forehead. So I took one for the team. Okay, John, um, my best driver of the game is Kyle Higashioka, who wants to know if you're all right. Are you okay, John? Yes, okay, I, yes. I am okay. Just a glancing blow. Just a glancing blow. <laughs> so, you know what these, these baseball stadiums are like. So, these play-by-play callers are so high up behind a home plate, and he's just been absolutely 
done, and it did. It's coming in a right and It's obviously hit the. I think it's hit hit maybe uh, above him in the stand and come down, then bounced up and hit him again because there's a real clatter. And he um he ended up getting a, a signed ball from Justin Turner. And he and look, 84 years old by the way, John Sterling. He turned up the next night to continue after an HIA assessment. He carried on his job. How iconic is that? That's brilliant, actually, uh, and brilliant live commentary. Um, because he just maintained his uh, his absolute calmness about the whole field, whole thing. Called the last play, and, and then went back to it. That is a true professional. Had uh, situations where, in uh, certain commentary boxes, they're low enough to the ground or close enough to the ground where the the, the window has been hit by sixes down the ground, um, and you often wonder then is it going to be powerful enough to shatter the <laughs> shatter the window, but. Uh, by and large, never been struck at all. That is, uh, that's an amazing piece of commentary. He's it, 80, mid-80s as well. Legend. Love it. Absolutely love that get, Louis. Yep. Thought you'd find that uh, enjoyable. He just chuck, stuck a bandage on and turned up the next day. And he's got, and you, you, you've you heard his voice before. Um, well, actually, was somebody on the show, somebody's recently said, first thing you do when you get into New York is you just chuck on W fan and you, you hope that there's a, a ball game on. You, the, the commentary over there, it's another world, really. Hey, Smithy, on a, a bit more of a sombre note, um, a bit of news through today from the All Blacks announced on Twitter. We are saddened to learn of the passing of All Black number 616, Roger Boone. Thoughts are with your family and friends at this time. Roger lived a very long in, in life and died peacefully in uh, Whanganui, I think it was. And just looking at his uh, All Blacks profile, uh, he goes back a long time. So Roger Boone was a hooker and he joined the 1960 tour of South Africa, replacing the injured Ron Hemi. Now, how's this? He also himself, he played six matches on that tour, but then himself suffered a bad injury to his vertebra and missed the last five matches. The injury was that bad that he never ended up playing rugby again, first-class rugby again. He was 25, and that's when his rugby career stopped. Um, between 56 and 60, he featured regularly in All Blacks trials. Um, he had, in 1955, had been in the New Zealand Colts side, which also included... Uh, a gentleman of the name Sir Colin Meads, we would have best been Colin Meads back then, and Wilson Winneray, um, of course. So this is a you know one of the absolute heydays in New Zealand rugby, and he, he li- ended up living a, a long and um, happy life after that injury stopped him from playing to his vertebrae. Imagine being in South Africa, age twenty five, and you get a career ending injury, and you've still got to get all the way back to New Zealand. Mid to late eighties, uh, he must have been then. Uh, to be fair, if you do the maths on that. Um, well, uh, that is sad passing, very sad passing with him, but, uh, we lose anyone, let alone uh, a former All Black, uh, so that goes way, way back in the All Black numbers, way back, 1962 of South Africa. Right, um, very interesting, Louis, very interesting indeed, anything else? Oh, just just the, the last mentioned, um, Shubman Gill, 15% of his match fine for uh tweeting some sort of uh, condescending uh, picture and rant about that Cameron Green catch. Did you notice that, that they all got uh, their match fines taken off because they I think they missed 36 overs between both sides in the in the, in the uh, test matches play? 36, I think it was. So that's not working, is it? Finding them's not working because they get nope. so much money. Or uh, <clears throat> So what's next? What, what is next in terms of that? Um, and you've got your showpiece game here. Uh, you're trying to push Test Cricket to stay. You're trying to push Test Cricket as the spectacle. Okay, it was a good game of cricket, and there was a result uh, quite easily in the game. But when you pay um, to go to an individual day, you expect to get, weather permitting, 
uh, an individual day's value out of your, your cost of your ticket. That many overs is too many. Uh, so now they have to look at it. And, and there is a playing committee. There is a playing committee who have to take responsibility for this. People of past players and current players uh, who sit on an ICC players-type committee uh, on the rules of the game and uh, the conduct of the game, etc. They have to look at that. That's the showpiece. That's massively disappointing. Um, and But as I say, you know, it means nothing. Uh, uh, the money means absolutely nothing to them because they get so much in their contracts anyway. I don't know. don't know what the next step is. Um, monitor it throughout the day and start taking fielders off or something of that nature um, rather than just saying at the end of the test this is how you average because at the end of the test uh, the punter who was there on day two is taken out of the equation. Uh, something more to look at in the game of cricket. Shubman Gill, yeah, you can't, you really can't uh, take to uh, social media when you've got as much power as he has, as much drawing power around the world of cricket with uh, his... Uh, adoring Indian fans in particular um, to uh, question umpiring decisions that long after the event as well. Uh, it's a bit of sour grapes, but it's also a, a bit silly. Uh, when you've been comp- comprehensively beaten like they were in India by Australia, there can be no argument with that. Um, so I don't think there was a lot of point in that. So uh, he loses a quarter of a match fee and then loses a whole lot. So, I mean, really? Good on you. Uh, 11.32. <laughs> 11.32 here on SCNZ. We will not be judging any problems with match fees here in this game coming up. Uh, 0800-150811 is our phone number. It is time to uh, make the call. Louis will be in charge of the questions. Brian is in charge of uh, the um, all the technical side of things. Uh, make the call now. Brian will answer and we'll play Stump Smithy after the news here with Araha. Ashes starts Friday night. Catch ball-by-ball ball commentary on SCNZ. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Rightio, let's get uh, stuck into this at uh, 11.34 uh, local time. And uh, let's uh, get across to uh, Louis Herman Watt, who is down there in Christchurch. And uh, the board lit up. I noticed it out of the corner of my eye. So plenty of people keen on picking up the fitty today. Yes, Smithy, very, very keen, but they've got to get through you, and that is no easy feat, almost like playing a 300-yard par three in a US Open. But we're going to go to Nick. He has got the... Nick, what sort of what sort of club are you hitting on a, a 300 par three, Nick, uh, knowing your own golfing prowess? I don't know, something that can find the fairway. I'm certainly not aiming for the green. <laughs> I totally agree. <laughs> I might lay up. What about you, Smithy? I'm thinking about hitting a five iron twice. <laughs> That's about right. All right, Nick. Uh, what would you like, mate? Do you want rugby league? Do you want golf? Or do you want rugby union? Um, it's probably foolish picking this against Smithy, but we'll try. We'll try some golf. Ooh, in a major week as well. Really staring the beast in the eye. I enjoy this. I like this, Nick. I like this. All right. Who won the DP World Tours European Open 2023? Whoa. When was that? Was that the one just gone? The weekend or? I think the weekend before. Oh. Um. Oh. I've, I've got nothing. I'm going to say Rasmus Hugard. 
one of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Dearie I me. think I, I I saw this guy getting interviewed. Nah, slip. Uh, uh, honestly, it's uh, slipped my my attention. I'm gonna go for. I think he was either Italian or Spanish. So I'm gonna go for Rafa. 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 Nah, maybe. I oh, look. I you know Raf. What's his name? His surname um, is a hyphenated name. Rafa. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Well, glad you didn't help him uh, get that one there, Nick. No, he's actually from Northern Ireland. They reckon he's age 20. He finished two shots clear. His name's Tom McKibben. Never heard of him. Oh, he plays Move out on. of the same course same course as Rory. He's uh, out of a Hollywood oh, golf Holly- course. Yes, I read that. Yeah, Hollywood. He is, right. Yeah. That's right, yeah. <laughs> okay, Tom McKibben. Oh, thanks, guys. Wow. All right. <laughs> Very good. Right. Now, next next question. Where did Ryan Fox finish on the PGA Tours Memorial Tournament this year? Oh, where well, was he? Was he tied tied or thirty fourth? One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Well, from memory, um, I think he started off after the first round in about ninetieth position and just worked his way up to the field. And in the end, I think, because uh, a lot of players went backwards past them, I think he might have finished in a tie 30. There's a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Oh, sharp, Smithy. Yes, a tie for 30, two over. Yeah, I got I got there because I'm obviously I follow it very, very, follow him very, very closely. And uh, I didn't think he was going to get a big check at all. In fact, it looked like he would make a cut at one stage, and then he's going to get a very big check. And then uh, in the end, he, he got a fairly decent one for tie 30th in a big $20 million event. Yeah, he's a very handy golfer. He's playing some good good golf. Nick, we'll let you crack on, take your uh, <laughs> fairway finder to your par three, th- par three, 300 yarder. Right, to P naughty we go. Oh, dear. It's Lammy. <laughs> hey, Louie. Hey, Smithy. Can we go next? Because, man, I don't know nothing about golf. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try my well, best anyway, Nick. Should I it's just... It's up to Louie. It's up to Louie. <laughs> Louie, uh, he makes the rules. No, no, I don't make the rules. Brian makes the rules. Look, Levy, do you want to do you want to answer this question, or should we just ask Smithy then and see if he can oh, get it right no, or wrong? No, I, I, no, I'll try and answer it, mate. Okay. okay, all right. <laughs> Look, it's actually quite gettable. Look, this is not, this is not a hard... Smithy will know this, I would say. So you better, better just sharpen your irons here. Let me... The US Open is up, of course, as we've been talking about today. Uh, Evan Priest, great guest out of the LA Country Club earlier. If you missed that, go to the uh, podcast channels, Mornings with Ian Smith. Now, who won last year's edition of the US Open? Oh, I think, you know what, I may have Googled this the other day, I don't know why, but was it Matthew Fitzpatrick? Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the <laughs> slot, and away it goes. Oh, yeah, boy, yeah, <laughs> let's go, let's go, Smitty. <laughs> oh, 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 the here, Lemmy. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, man. Thank you. Thank you. 
What a flick that the was good, anyway. Sorry, guys. The, do you know who's going to win it this year? He can tend you 50 and a lot of money if you're that good. <laughs> oh, Ryan Fox, mate. Ryan Fox. Oh, a lot of money. 151 to 1. 151 to 1 for Ryan Fox. I'll guarantee you I'll put it on him, okay? So I'll let you know. Right from the start, okay, yeah, I'm going to put it on him. That'll be like winning go. golf lotto. Good on you, Lomi. Absolutely fantastic, mate. Uh, one question hit out, and you won it. So congratulations uh, to you. Yes, Matthew Fitzpatrick, uh, the Englishman, who uh, had a reasonable form last week in Canada, so you wouldn't write him off as giving it a fair old crack at uh, this time around either. So uh, Lamy is the winner this morning, and uh, who will be the winner of the US Open? We'll find out next Monday morning. And we'll probably have that pretty much live on this show. It is uh, 11.41 here as we speak. Is a new team in town. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's gonna be the day that they're gonna throw it back to you By now you should have somehow realised what you gotta do I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now Backbeat, the word is on the street that the fire in your heart is out Sure, you've heard it all before, but you never really had a doubt. I don't believe that anybody feels the way I do about you now. Bit of Oasis there, absolutely outstanding. Um, love that album, actually. Uh, we've got uh, a number of texts that have uh, come in. Uh, Pete, um, Pete Mick says, uh, great interview. He's talking about our uh, interview with uh, Jeanette. Antonusi, um, totally agreed. The way she described the tactics for the race and the way it unfolded was the clearest I've ever heard. And I, I just think it was brilliant, absolutely brilliant, the tactics um, and uh, about the, the care for the horse and uh, the relationship he ha- she has with horses. Horseology, brilliant. Great subject. Uh, don't forget, uh, Sean has come and said, don't forget Lauren Triton, an Australian expat trainer who was the first woman to win the Battle of Lake Erie in the harness game on the weekend with Lochinvar Art out of uh, Australia. So uh, maybe um, Michael Guerin, uh, Mick Guerin, might have uh, some more information on that. Uh, Wayne from Carmo said, Hey, uh, hi, Smithy. I have no time for Ian Foster, but I say good on him for making things difficult for the media and the rugby union. As for Jamie Wall, even mentioning Perinara, well, that's any credibility he has gone. Thanks. Uh, Joel has said the uh, course uh, should be correct, not relying, this is uh, talking about the, the, tri- the try, the arty try, uh, not relying until after the 80 minutes uh, to take the lead is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. A fair try is a fair try. Call a game off at 80 minutes if tries aren't uh, after that. Shouldn't count. So uh, there you go. Uh, and um, also, uh, no Nico Hines in the blue squad. Freddie has lost the plot. He has lost the plot. That's what they're saying, um, and he's made changes. All right, uh, I didn't. I wasn't uh, too aware of of uh, the extent of the team, but 
This is the side at the moment. Uh, Tedesco, Adoka, Mitchell, Trebojevic, Tu'u, uh, Jerome Luai. Uh, Mitchell Moses in at seven. That's for Nathan Cleary. But he's got rid of uh, Nico Hines out of the whole group. Payne Haas uh, retains his spot as uh, Damian Cook. Junior Polo uh, gets his as well. Tyson Frizzell, Hudson Young, Isaiah Yao. They complete the, the starting 13 at this point. So interesting coming out of uh, the Blues and uh, has he pushed the panic button, Louis? Freddie Footler, has he pushed the panic button? Oh, it's a good question, Smithy. I mean, it's it's not the panic button. He had to make changes. I just don't know if they're the right ones. I mean, Nico Hines has had a, a gone through a bit of poor form, but I, I just still think he is the guy that they should have gone to. I just can't cop Jerome Luai. I just think he's not the right man for this specific job. So... Whether that means you, you can construct something around that and, and um, you know, whether it was Mitchell Moses and Nico Hines that were going to get a run, that is probably where I was. Or, I don't know. I mean, just Jerome Lewis-Smith, he just does my head in and I just think without Cleary there, then you lose the value of that Panthers combination. Do you need him? Do you need him? Um, look, I... Uh, I think they sorely missed Nathan Cleary. There's no doubt about that in terms of their guidance. But uh, Mitchell Moses is a fair footballer. He's, you know, he'd make most squads. I mean, he's a terrific footballer. Yep. Um, but now they're starting to ask questions about Nico Hines, and in particular the fact that he has not been able to guide the Sharks to a victory over the top eight team. Over a top eight team this season, uh, the Sharks have not had a, a, a win, and Nico Hines is their tactician and strategist around that on the park. So... Uh, he has not been able to do it, and so uh, I guess what they're saying is big match temperament, tough opposition. Uh, Nico's uh, not quite got it yet at this point. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's a shame because you'd maybe if things would have gone different for him, and I mean, you know, this is a little bit of uh, revisionist history, but if things had gone a little bit different for him in Origin One, and he got some more game time, maybe he would be empowered to be the man moving forward. I think that Billy Slater in Queensland are licking their lips and they can't, cannot wait to put this to bed. And I don't know, I don't want to make a call to you. What do you call it? Predictions Tuesday. Well, maybe I think maybe I'll, I'll make a way too early call and just say Queensland might bury them. It, it might get messy. And we have to ask Spud Carroll. Spud wants to come back on the show, Smithy. He enjoyed it that much. He's already asked to come back on next week. So. We have to get in touch with him and, and say, what's, what has gone on? Because I thought Spud was meant to wind Tavita Pangai Jr. up so he was going to play a hell of a game, not get dropped the week after. He probably dropped him in the boxing ring. That was the problem, and he lost all sense of direction. Um, so Spud Carroll, he's a must, absolute character. Uh, but he won't be as, um, well, I won't be saying that out loud, but he might not. He <laughs> might not be as confident as he was the other day. I think he might be a little bit desperate as well. What will he make of those changes? So that's Spud to look forward to. Uh, but in the meantime, in the short term, we've got Staffy to look forward to uh, here on SENZ, and uh, we'll talk to him uh, before his show begins at midday.